You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas, everyone. So glad you've joined us today. Looking forward to what God has to teach us and to show us through his word. Isn't Christmas truly the most wonderful time of the year? That's why across the globe, people are stopping to celebrate the most significant, one of the most significant events in human history, the birth of Jesus Christ. If you could summarize Christmas in one word, just think about this, don't shut up. If you could summarize Christmas in one word, what would it be? To try and grab all of Christmas and summarize it in one word, what would it be? For many of the faith, it would be words like, Jesus and birth and Messiah and supernatural and miraculous. For others who maybe don't come from the faith, they think words like family and vacation and tree and gifts and dinner and gatherings. Maybe for all people, there's this idea of hope and love and peace and joy that we all truly desperately long for and we hope that somehow it's going to come at Christmas. But there's one word we often forget when we come to celebrate Christmas, and it's an important word. It's a biblical word that really describes really in totality the full essence of Christmas, and it's this word. It's the word glory. Christmas truly is about the glory of the living God coming to earth in the form of his son. It's all about glory. If you think about the Christmas story from the Bible, from the word of God, not just a history textbook telling us what's happened, but the divinely inspired word of God that God gave from his heart to our hearts, glory really is the theme of Christmas. Uh, Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter two is where you find the Christmas story. And if you look at Luke chapter two, we see clearly the glory of God when the angels came, when Jesus was born, the glory of God shone all around. In other words, the glory of God lit up the sky like never before, proclaiming the coming of his son. As the glory of God lit up the sky, the angels then burst into chorus singing this, glory, glory to God in the highest. The whole earth was amplified as the song, glory to God in the highest. In verse 19 of chapter two, Mary pondered up all these things in her heart. She's like, what is going on? Trying to make sense of it all. The angels, uh, sorry, the shepherds left glorifying God, bringing glory to God. Really, we summarize Christmas with the word glory. This is what fills our minds and our hearts with the wonder and awe and true Christmas spirit. We all want Christmas spirit. We often associate Christmas spirit with the gifts under the tree, right? And the kids getting the gift and like, oh, I got the gift I wanted. Sort of like this. We kind of think of this when it comes to wonder and awe. My oldest son's a teenager now, so his wonder is sort of like the half grin, the trying to hold it back. But my younger two, Maya, she's just all about the presence, right? She, she dances, she holds it up, and the glory lights up her face, the wonder and the awe. Nicholas just laughs his head off for some reason. He just laughs. He's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. But really, as believers, we understand that the wonder and the awe isn't coming from under the tree this year. It's coming from in the manger. Jesus truly is the divine son of God. And the greatest Christmas miracle is realizing that when we look at Jesus, we see the picture of Jesus in the manger, we're actually looking at the glory and the face of God. 
We've been as a church trying to um, unpack some of the Christmas card verses. You know, you get Christmas cards, there's a verse in every Christmas card, and usually it only gives us a little snippet of what the full meaning of Christmas is. And so we've been trying to grasp the, the verses and the full meaning of it. And so uh, today we're going to look at John 1, verses 14 to, uh, John 1, verses 14, uh, to 18, but mostly John 1, 14. And here's the Christmas card verse that we often get that really we don't associate with glory because it doesn't finish the verse in most cards. You ever had this in a Christmas card? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, dot, dot, dot. Well, that's cool. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, dot, dot, dot. Here's the rest of the verse. Let me help you understand the fullness of what this means. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and here's how the verse ends, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and now because Jesus is here, we've seen the glory of God as only from the Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 9, it tells us that Jesus came. He's the true light, the light which enlightens everyone. More than just lighting up the sky that first Christmas Eve, Jesus is the one who comes to give light to every soul to make sense of life, to make meaning of the existence that we have. And so we see in verse 14, this is where we're going to understand verse 14 today, that's where we're going to mainly camp. We see that the glory of God is truly what defines and dominates Christmas. Two points this, this afternoon, and the first one is this, as we understand Christmas. You want to get the fullness of Christmas? Know this, glory came to be with us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, we see, the, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and glory came to be with us. Doesn't sound too, too profound to those who've been in church for a long time, but let's try and grasp the significance of that again. Here's what it says in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word. What's the word? Is it just like a verbal word? We put words in a sentence. We put words in paragraphs. Doesn't sound too exciting, the word. This isn't just a word. This is the word. The word in the Bible is the divine self-expression or speech of God. The word is God. God is the word and that he speaks just the word of his lips. He speaks everything into existence and he gives everything meaning with just a word, the word. The word is not an abstract, just an abstract thought. The word is massive meaning. The word is personal rather than impersonal. The word is God. And it says in verse one of John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, was God. And the word was with God and the word was God. It's showing us that Jesus Christ is actually the eternal logos or logos, which is word. And this Jesus Christ came to earth as a man. The word, think of this, the God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into being, the one who existed before time began, became flesh and dwelt among us. God, above everything else, became flesh. The Bible tells us in John that God is spirit. In other words, like, like God doesn't have a form or a or a, a, a face, per se. And yet God came and took on human flesh, and really it's God with skin on is Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus, it's God with skin on. He came in the form of a baby in a manger. In other words, God has took on a human nature. 
He's fully God, yes. He didn't put up, leave his divinity behind. He's fully God. He's also fully man in, as he comes to us in Jesus Christ. Think about that for a minute. God thought everything, spoke everything into being. He actually became as one of us, a body, a mind, and a soul. Took on human flesh. He took on characteristics of a human being and facial features and skin tones and he has a mind. He took on human brain. Think of the complexities of the human brain that we all possess. That's a miracle in itself. God took on one of those and he even took on, he even took on a soul which is the emotional capacity of a human being and a, gives us our ability to relate to God. This God took on flesh. Just for the record, he probably didn't look like he does in, Jesus didn't look like he does in most pictures that we see of this little white guy with a nice little beard. He actually was Middle Eastern. But he took on flesh. Think of that. God took on flesh. And yet he was still fully divine. Augustine says this, God was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. It's not Greek mythology I'm telling you today. It's not some creative genius's penmanship skills that came up with this concept of Jesus being fully God, God's word says so. It's hard to understand, isn't it? God becoming flesh, fully God, fully man. Kind of mind-boggling. Just because we don't fully understand it doesn't mean it's not completely true. Actually, people have been trying to logically make sense of God becoming man ever since he, God became man. And trying to fit God in our little logical boxes has messed us up as human beings and got us on all kinds of odd paths to think that Jesus is anything but for who, for who he truly is. In fact, some heresies or some confusion has just been added to us because we are trying to figure out the full reality of how God can fit into our human logic. Here's some heresies that have come out in the last 2,000 years about Jesus that take us further away from the full reality of who he is than closer to. Here's one, adoptionism. Trying to understand that how can Jesus be fully God and fully man? And so some people came up with this idea that maybe Jesus was just a super spiritual and religious person and he was, he was actually supremely virtuous. And so God then adopted him as his son because he was the greatest of all men. Completely not what the Bible teaches. What about this one, Apollinarianism? They saw that Jesus had a human body and a lower soul, the seat of emotions that was human, but he had a divine mind. In other words, he was partly God and partly man, incorrect. He was fully God and fully man. Maybe some of you even here today have walked into this, who is Jesus? Like, what is this all about? And maybe you bought into some of these myths that are heresy, really. What about Arianism? This idea that Jesus wasn't divine, that he was simply a created by the Father with a clear beginning, and the title Son of God was something that he was just bestowed with as a courtesy. To make sense of Christmas, you have to understand that none of those things are true, that Jesus of the Bible is eternally existent, equal in nature to God. The name his Son means this, that he was a one of a kind and possessed a unique relationship with the one true God. This is Jesus Christ. This is the baby in a manger that we get so fired up about because we're talking about God himself here on earth. Charles Wesley tried to capture the essence of this with the wonder the incarnation is, is God with flesh on or God with skin on. In his majestic hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and it says this, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with God to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Think about that for a minute. 
pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, Jesus took on flesh. It says he dwelt among us, and the actual phrase for that in the Bible is it means to live in a tent. It means he, he took on not just human flesh, the human flesh, the temporary tent of a human body, but he actually set up his tent with ours. The biblical term is he tabernacled with us. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was significant. The only place you'd find God, the presence of God, the full reality of God was in the tabernacle. Or later on in the temple, so when the Jewish people came to the tabernacle, the temple, they knew that the, the fullness of the wonder, the glory of God was going to be in one place, and that's where he was going to be. Well, when Jesus came, here's the truth. The fullness of the presence of the living God is no longer in a place. It's no longer in a building. It's found in one person, the Son, Jesus Christ. God tabernacled with us and among us. There's a theology behind it, but getting past the theology, this is significant for us as we understand Christmas and understand our lives and the full meaning of what God wants for us. Here's what it means. It means this, that God, so grand we can't even begin to comprehend him, God is present with us. Jesus, God is present with us. God's not a CEO in a boardroom rubber stamping things that has no connection with the people that he is supposed to be presiding over. God is not the politician that sits in the parliament with no idea of the names and faces and realities of what his constituency faces. God is actually one who deeply is moved by the reality of our human existence. In fact, so much so that he forsook all of his glory, all the perfect realities of heaven, and he came to be one of us. In other words, God moved in next door. God moved in next door. In all of his perfection, he moved into our sin-cursed, broken, messed up world to be near us. His sin-cursed, broken, messed up creation. Because he loves us that deeply. And he longs for us to know him that intimately. He moved into our messed up, mine included lives that we might, that we might see the face of God. Here's what even this first phrase tells us about God. To dispel any of your myths about God that he's just some giant person up in the sky who's so high above us that he knows nothing about us. Even this one phrase, get this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's what it tells us about the character and the nature of our God. God initiates relationship with us. He doesn't leave it to chance. He doesn't think, well, hopefully one day they'll figure out there's more to this life. There's something greater to this, their existence. He initiates with us. He comes after us. He longs to find us like a parent losing a kid in the mall. I know you've never done that because you're good parents, but like a parent, parent loses a kid in the mall, goes to find his child or her child, so God comes after us because he loves us so deeply and longs to care for us and not just keep us safe, but he longs for a true relationship with us. He's intimate. God doesn't want to rescue us and bring us to a safe house. He wants to be close to us in a way that we would truly know him and he would truly know us. God is a relational God who's totally invested in our lives. 
He cares. He's present. He's not the deadbeat dad. He's one who wants to be with us in every aspect of our lives. The ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the all-arounds. This is a story of Christmas. This is why we get so jacked up about Christmas. This is a real story of Christmas. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. This is true. This is reality. Can you imagine if Donald Trump moved in next door to your house? One of the most powerful men on the planet. Or Vladimir Putin moved in next door. You don't think he'd sit up and be like, wow, like something significant's going on. Or, or even the... the Xi Jinping of China moved in next door, but this is the truth of Christmas, the massive, all-consuming, awesome God of the universe that we would never know apart from him became one of us that we would clearly see and know God. Here's God's heart for us at Christmas once again, that we would clearly come to know him and see him and live our lives with him. God doesn't want to be obscure this Christmas. He doesn't want to be hidden. Jesus came to reveal God to you. Why in the form of a baby? I've asked that many times. Why in the form of a baby? Why would God come in the form of a baby? Because the scriptures teach us that God is so all-consuming. He's an all-consuming fire. No one can see God and actually live. He'd obliterate us. We'd be terrified of him. We'd run for the hills. So God became one of us to bust through all of our blockades and all of our inhibitions that simply we would see his face. You ever go south on Christmas break or on break at any other time and you stand on a riverbank after the tide has gone out, you'll find these little creatures called soldier crabs. Little blue creatures about the size of a nickel. There's a picture right here with little um, tentacles and they run just like they're crabs except they march in kind of symmetry and like an army. That's, that's the name, soldier crabs. And interesting though, you try and find these soldier crabs and get to know a little bit about these soldier crabs. They are very skittish breed and so you get close to them and they're terrified of human beings. You ever try to pick up a, a soldier crab? Instantly, they're gone. They disappear. They burrow into the sand like that one's doing right there, and they're gone. They see people as predators, and they're fearful. They're uncertain. They don't want anything to do with human beings. In the same way, when God approaches us as the unapproachable light, we are terrified. We can't stand in his presence. And so God, in his grace and his, in his mercy, he became one of us. Just if you wanted to be really find out about the soldier crabs, you'd have to become one of them. So God became one of us. His sole purpose in coming at Christmas and becoming ordinary and everyday person that he could live among us and that we could see his ultimate, his glory. That's what God wants to see about him more than anything else, more than his love, more than, more than anything else. He wants us to see his glory. Here's point number two. It's the second half of this verse. It's this. Glory reveals God to us. Glory reveals God to us. Look what it says in the second half of verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, dot, dot, dot. Here's the rest of the verse, the better part of the story. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Here's the truth, deep down inside each one of us, we long for something greater than we can even begin to comprehend. We long, we know there's something more to this life than what we're experiencing. We know that there's something more to, to, to be in awe of than the things we have in this earth. And the reality is that God, in all of his glory, is the only one that truly satisfies the longing of our souls. And God exists more than any, for anything else than for the glory of his name. In fact, the Old Testament, from the beginning of time, God has always been about his glory. 
the glory that Jesus came to reveal to us. Exodus chapter 15 says this, verses 11 and 13, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. 32 times the Old Testament says God is about his glory. Isaiah 48, verses 9 to 11, he says this, that God acts for his name's sake, for the sake of his praise, for his own sake, for his own sake. My glory he will not give to another. So God exists ultimately for his glory, and, and we exist for the glory of God. That's why God created us, that we'd see his glory. That's why God chose us and called us. That's why we're saved as believers, that we can live for the glory of God. And Christmas is about God officially giving us a clear view of his glory. What do I mean by his glory? It's almost impossible to define the word glory. It's sort of like the word beauty. God wants us to see him in all of his beauty. You ever been out to BC and stood on the mountains and watched the sunrise on the mountains? If you've ever been there, it's the most remarkable experience you'll ever have in this planet. It'd be like seeing the, standing in the mountains and seeing the sunrise and coming back to someone who's never experienced the mountains, trying to explain to them what you experienced. You're like, man, it was awesome. We're standing up on this. I can't even explain it. That's sort of the beauty, the glory. It's, it's like trying to explain to somebody the smell of the, your favorite bouquet of flowers. You're like, how do you capture that for somebody to understand? It, just, it smelled delicious. It smelled tantalizing. How would you explain the taste of a, Christmas meal to somebody who's never tasted turkey or even heard of the word turkey before. How do, you, how do you explain the trimmings and the food and the gravy and the stuffing? Unbelievable. Filling. Joyful. You can't fully grab that. It's sort of like the glory of God. You can't comprehend the full glory of God. And so God tried to encapsulate all that he is in the person of Jesus Christ. He did encapsulate all that he is in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's the best definition of the glory of God which he is revealing to us at Christmas. John Piper says this, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. In Jesus, we see this, the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Who's perfect in this life? One person, God himself, Jesus Christ. And transformed by his glory, Charles, Charles Riley says this, the glory of of God means the awesomeness, splendor, and importance of God seen in some way. Jesus is the awesome splendor and importance of God seen in full manifestation. It's his beauty. He's beautiful. He's indescribable. He's awesome, not in his physical appearance, but in his quality and his nature. As you see Jesus in the scriptures, you see the glory of God. If God is spirit, then how do we see God? Bible tells us we see God in creation. You go outside and you stand outside and you look at the sky, you breathe in the air, you see the streams and the trees, you're like, it's beautiful. You see the glimpse of the glory of God. You open the scriptures, you open up the scriptures and you see a picture of the glory of God. You, you see a description of God, you see who he is and how he relates to people and you see a picture of God that's like un other, any other, unlike any human being you'll ever come across. You see a picture of the glory of God. But you know how we perfectly see the glory of God? We see him in his son, Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter one, he is the imprint, the exact imprint of the nature of God. And we see in Jesus the divine attributes that make God, God. God's glory and God's person go hand in hand. 
What's the glory of God? It's the person of Jesus Christ and all of his attributes, the communicable attributes, the things that we share with God, his qualities we share with God because we're creating his image, the, the reality that we are relational people, we have an intellect, we have capacity, we have creativity, we have morality. But we also see in Jesus the non-communicable traits of God that are unique to God. In other words, there's some things about God that are so separate from us that we can't even comprehend them, the reality that God is all-knowing. We see this in Jesus. He's all-present and all-powerful and forever holy, forever righteous. He's, as this text points out, he's perfect in truth. He's a standard of truth. We try and find truth and we make our own truth. We think truth is eclectic. It's not. Truth is actually one place. It's the person of Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus, you see truth. When you want truth, you find Jesus. He's perfect in grace. This is part of the glory of God. What's grace is God's benevolence towards his creation, God's generous benevolence towards his creation. We get benevolence this Christmas. We want to help the needy. We want to reach out. But God's benevolent benevolence towards us is seen in Jesus Christ. His common grace for everybody. Even if you don't acknowledge Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, your common grace is he's made you in his image and everything good you have comes from God. But his saving grace is the reality that this little baby that's in a manger that we celebrate today is gonna grow up and be a king and one day save us from our sins if we profess faith in Jesus Christ. You see in Jesus the fullness of deity dwells. This is Christmas. Forget the presents under the tree, they're fantastic, but this is Christmas, it's God unveiled. It's God's glory unmasked. It's God's infinite worth being put on display for us. It's God giving us a glimpse of the most beautiful glory on earth himself. And this glory is what we were created for and the encounter we desperately need. Do you always come into Christmas season? We're all longing for the same thing. We want, we want this something to well up within us. We, we want something beyond us to, to overcome us. It's God through Jesus Christ. It's what we long for more than any gift. The gifts, they'll be fun for a couple days. They're gone. They can't give you eternal satisfaction and meaning and hope and joy. Jesus comes to do that. But it's the encounter we desperately need because the scriptures tell us that we all fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we're not as glorious as we think we are. And we're sinners, me too. We're broken. Can't fix ourselves. The world's messed up. We need a savior. We need someone to come and do something about our predicament. Even on my best days, I find myself falling short of perfection by about five stars. Perfection's 10 stars. I'm about five stars every single day. We need somebody. We need something to desperately save us from ourselves. We need him to save us from our sins. We need to save us from the enemy, the devil, the Satan. We need, we need a savior. And this is what Jesus came to do to be the glory of God in our lives. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to God but by me. You truly want the Christmas spirit this Christmas? You truly want to have your hearts in awe and wonder? It's going to last for more than a three-hour Christmas gathering. It's found in Jesus Christ through faith. Free gift, best gift, ultimate gift, Manger, God's saying, I'm coming, I'm here to be with you in your hardest days, your best days. Uh, I, I'm here to save you from your sin. Amazing, the manger, think of this. Many babies have grown up to be kings. Only one king became a baby. 
as H.B. Charles says, that would one day grow up and die on the cross for my sin and your sin, that we can have a relationship with God and be eternally connected with our heavenly Father and be destined for the place that we long for, the place called heaven. And simply by this, believing the Bible, trusting that this is God's Son, and choosing to make Jesus my priority, my purpose, and my pursuit, not just this Christmas season, but for all of my life. And you will find your life taking a 180, and you'll find yourself in wonder and awe like you've never found before. You'll find yourself filled with love and joy and hope and peace that you're trying to find everywhere else that can only be found in Jesus Christ. You'll find those things happening as you humble yourself and turn to Jesus Christ as the reason and the meaning for your life and your existence. Christmas is glorying in Jesus Christ. Whether you've been Christian for one minute or 10 years or 100 years, Christmas is still the same. It's glorying in Jesus Christ. I know I gave you a lot this afternoon, a lot to process, a lot to think about. Let me encourage you with this, this Christmas season. Don't be so busy you miss out on the full reality of Jesus. Take time this Christmas season to think about the things I've shared with you. Get your Bibles open. If you have a Bible, we'll give you one on the way out. Read through the book of John. I started you in John chapter one. Read through the book of John, but ask God, God, if this is true, I need to know. If you are real, reveal yourself to me. If there's this glory I can experience, let me have all of it, God, because you miss Jesus, you miss life. Take time this Christmas season to quietly contemplate as Mary did, treasuring up all these things in her heart. This is awesome. This is life-changing, world-altering realities that can only be found in one place. Treasure up all these things in your heart. Get the Bible open. Go for a walk in nature. Spend some time in solitude, which we don't do often at Christmas, and just allow God, God, make these things become alive and real in me. Take time to humbly adore as the Wise men did, bringing precious gifts and bowing low. Make Jesus higher and yourself lower this Christmas season. Christmas isn't about us, what we want, what we want to do. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. Take time to make Jesus high and you be low. Take center, take second seat this Christmas season. How about taking time to exuberantly pro- proclaiming Jesus Christ, exuberant pro- proclamations of the angels? Do you realize that what God loves the most from us, you know, the gifts we give God is his, his praise? Stopping to sing songs of worship like we did here today, like we're gonna do again in a second. Do this at home, celebrate, get your eyes fixed on Jesus, sing songs to him. We're created to sing and to worship someone greater than us. We all worship something, we all worship someone. There's one person we're created to worship is Jesus Christ. Until that is correct, your life won't be in equilibrium as God designed you to be. And boldly declares the shepherds, Don't just leave here now with this knowledge, with this reminder of what Christmas is and who Jesus is. Go and boldly proclaim. Tell others the greatest news the world has ever seen. Jesus Christ is born. God came to be with us. Let others in on this Christmas miracle that will change their lives. Jesus is awesome in all of his glory. Don't miss him this Christmas. Don't just give him a glimpse. Don't just give him a nod. You don't believe, that's okay. Take time to seek and ask and pray. You do believe, you're struggling, it's okay. We all struggle. Sit quietly, ask God even right now, God, make this real to me. Make yourself real to me again today. You come here today and you're excited, you're fired up. Awesome, let this 
stir you and spur you on in your worship this Christmas season. But make no doubt about this. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of of truth. Let's stand and worship in response.